Hi, I'm Reagan, and thanks for listening to my dad's podcast, Lasting Learning. Welcome to the Lasting Learning Podcast. I am so glad that you're here. This is Dave Schmidt, the host of the Lasting Learning Podcast. On this podcast, we're not in search of the latest gimmicks and tricks. Instead, we focus in on the people making a difference. We learn their stories, what's brought them success, and what matters most. I hope you'll stay connected to me and to all of our guests by subscribing and sharing this with your friends. Now, let's get to it. Away we go. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. As always, I am so glad you're here. And in just a few minutes, you're going to be super glad that you are here as well, because there is an incredible person on the other line. In just a second, you're going to have the opportunity to hear from someone who is a lot smarter than me, a lot wiser than me. A lot of you that are watching this will say a whole lot better looking than me. He's got, he's got it all going on. And right now he's actually sitting in a place with a climate a whole lot nicer than mine as well. We got a guy here who has been an educator, uh, teacher, administrator, um, and now he's just out helping people, um, helping teenagers, helping families, helping adults. He's just, he's helping everybody. I, I follow him on social media and um, to be real, he's, he's helped me a tremendous amount as well. So I am super, super excited to have with us today, Daniel Patterson. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. Uh, similar sentiments to you. I follow you on social media. I'm inspired by your transparency, your journey, your humility, no pun intended, but, um, <laughs> you know, just, just someone that I quantify as, uh, as real or as real as you can get on that, on those platforms. Right. I, I appreciate that, man. So yeah, I, I just kind of glossed over who you are. I know a lot of people out there know who you are, uh, but there might be one or two people in the world that are saying, huh, who is this guy? This is your opportunity, man. Who are you? What, what, what are, what's your story? Who am I? Oh, that's a loaded question. Well, my name's Daniel and I'm down here in Newport Beach, California. And I spent 14 years in traditional education as an English teacher, avid teacher, student council director, tennis coach, assistant principal. And then in 2016, I left that job um, mid-year, took a mental health leave um, for a whole lot of reasons and um, opened up Patterson Perspective. Um, And at the time I did it, my wife's like, well, what's Patterson Perspective? And I'm like, not really sure, but I'll figure it out. I went down and I rented an office and set up shop and I've been helping um, teenagers and then lately a lot of young adults, college students or even adult adults in the mid-20s, connect them to resources, help them with their educational planning, connect them to therapeutic treatment options if that's what they need to do and really help drive down and to look at the human element um, behind all of the data that we like to mine and the accolades we like to collect and really try to figure out at the end of the day, like what are your core values and what are the core actions that can match those values and get you either into that college if that's your thing or land that job or moving out of your parents' house or getting sober as I am, whatever it looks like to you. Um, that's what I do. Um, written a few books. I have a new book coming out 
in the spring called Recover EDU, which is an educator's guide to mental health and substance recovery in schools. So I've spent the last year interviewing people from all over the country um, in different vantage points within education, and I'm excited for that book to come out soon. It's, it's awesome. And I know people were listening to this and they, they picked up on a couple of nuggets that you, that you threw in there. And if it's okay, I'm going to latch on to a couple of those that Let's go. They make your story unique and powerful at the same time. Uh, you mentioned sobriety in there. So right. with that, I know people will pick up on that. Uh, you talked about leaving the school halfway through the school year um, and walking, walking away. And I don't know if it was, if people would describe it as taking a leap of faith or being forced into starting something new. Right. Uh, but can you talk about some of, some of those? Some of those? Yeah, like what, what, you don't necessarily have to describe everything that happened three years ago, but if you want to talk about some of these turning points, these pivotal points in your, sure. in your journey. Well, I mean, the sobriety is almost, I'm approaching five, five years. I don't have a sexy story other than uh, it was my primary coping skill was mm -hmm. alcohol. And really, from a mental health perspective, deeply unhappy trauma. Um, I mean, I have lived a good life, a happy life, but that's the thing with mental health. It doesn't bleed. It doesn't have to be packaged in something that's totally detrimental or, or shiny and glossy. It can just be a, a slow burn rather than a raging fire. And for me, that my primary coping skill um, was alcohol. And I had an unhealthy relationship with it, and I knew it forever. I knew it for a long time. My wife knew it, but it was something I, I guarded. I was pretty um, functional or very functional. Um, and so I decided New Year's, my New Year's resolution in, of that year was to go six months without drinking. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have never, ever gone back um, because it created the a clarity in me. And in really even like working toward that sobriety for the first six months, there was a, a natural high in that and just like a sense of accomplishment. And then it, it evoked a creative freedom and I started writing again. And, and that's when I started contributing to the Huffington Post. And then from that, I realized there's, there's a lot of opportunity here for me that perhaps I'm, I'm overlooking. And, and not like, I loved being an assistant principal, I loved education, but it was just sort of what beyond that could I, could I find if I just allowed myself to be open to something new? And I had no idea what that was. Um, so that dovetails into the story of how I left the school, which, you know, when I started being an assistant principal, I thought I'll be a principal for a hundred years. Like my dad was, my older brother is an assistant superintendent in Oregon and educators in my family. I loved it. Um, but my um, best friend at school who I'd worked with for 11 years died by suicide mm. and he died by suicide. Um, really publicly and kind of at work. And um, that happened the day, I guess the day after, 12 hours after um, my article was published in the Huffington Post. So I had this high, high, low, low, took me out at the knees, um, couldn't hear, I couldn't think. And I kind of traversed my job for another six months. And then I decided, I realized it was either me or the job, right? Like I had to like stop and recover to um, preserve my substance recovery, but also to uh, regain my mental recovery and my mental fortitude. And I couldn't do it at the pace I was going as an assistant principal of a huge high school. Um, it was a very, very, very tough choice to make. 
but sometimes life does things for you that maybe you can't do for yourself. Mm. So in terms of like that blessing philosophy or silver lining philosophy, I feel like that the tragedy of that uh, loss fortified by the sobriety allowed me to pivot in a way that I would have never been able to do two years before that. Wow, that's, that's, that's an intense story. I can only imagine that when you were going through it, you didn't look at it as a blessing in any way, no. shape, or form. No. It, it, when you look, you look back on it now and you talk about how it, it opened up opportunities to you. Are, are you one of those guys that you live your life through reflection? You can always look back and say, every single moment got me to here. Or do you believe you would have gotten here regardless of what happened? I, you know, I, I really don't like that everything happens for a reason sort of mantra, or I didn't used to, but I, I do believe when I look at the totality of my life and I look at the totality of positives and negatives, they do, they do create this equation, a life algorithm that got me to this point. Um, would I like to have gotten here without some of that adversity? Absolutely. Um, would I have liked to deal with my mental health and substance issues earlier in my life? Definitely. And that's my message. That's like what I'm trying to do in this world now is you don't have to be like me. You don't have to wait as long. You don't have to let it incubate. Right. But I do believe trying to pivot and make a purpose out of pain and create meaning where you can, because if I just sit in the sadness and sit in the anxiety that I experience, um, then, then I can't keep going. So I have to capture that fuel and try to understand how I can either you know economically as an entrepreneur or creatively as a writer or as a speaker or from a philanthropic perspective as a volunteer like how can i capture those feelings and and deal them out and create positive energy i guess yeah, yeah. you know people that that might follow you online or people that are going to start following you online they're going to see you as this guy that that seems eternally optimistic you see you just exude positivity Right. And unless people start to uncover this, this backstory, I don't think they would necessarily believe that this has been your journey. Right. Um, wh where does the positivity come from? Where does this optimism come from? I mean, the, uh, it's funny because with, with optimism, I feel like optimin, optimism for me is, is easily, I can find it, I can tap into it effectively, especially when it's with other people's <laughs> crises or other people's situations. I can go into really intense situations and be calm and optimistic and pragmatic and not let it really affect me. But if you wanna see the other side of me, come watch me try to get my three kids out of the house in the morning. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not always there, but it's, for me, um, I look at the life I've been able to build and I believe that um, you are what you focus on and you get more of what you focus on. So I'm not, I'm not always optimistic. I, I struggle with anxiety and depression. So, um, but I, I fight each day to live a good life and I fight each day to make lives better. And I wake up with intention um, and I set those intentions because if I don't, then I'll go back to the me that was in high school, in college, who was deeply depressed and isolated mm -hmm. and basically people pleasing and, and doing things because I felt like that's what I should be doing, not because I wanted to be doing those things. Yeah, and it, it's, it's amazing. I, I know people that listen know bits and pieces of my story. I know you know parts of my story as well. And a lot of what you're saying really resonates 
with me because it, it's so similar to my path and my experiences. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, you talk about the fact that you still deal with anxiety and depression. I mean, those things are enduring and you can right. learn how to cope and, and manage right. them. And uh, you talk about the idea of people pleasing and trying to manage that is difficult for somebody who, especially when they're in the, a role where you, in essence, are this independent contractor. Right. And by nature of the beast, your job is to make people happy with your services right. um, and to promote yourself. Right. How in the world do you manage that end of the business while also trying to manage you as the person? But yeah, I mean, I think that there's a learning curve there. So I've been in business for three years now. Um, and the first year I felt like was a lot of um, trying to market myself as like this academic coach or this college counselor, like really playing into the, the warm market of Southern California and things that I knew inherently would turn over quick money. Mm -hmm. um, but I was working with a life coach. I hired a life coach when I quit my job, a woman named Annie Smith, who changed, changed me. She and Jessica St. Clair, my therapist, those two, they're like, you know, <laughs> that they're right here with me. But um, she said, you know, if you're not careful, you're just going to create another job you don't want. You know, and don't mistake busy for successful. So at that point, about a year into, almost a year into being an independent contractor, I completely changed my model. And I got really specific and very clear about what my deliverables were and who I would be working with. And um, I, I raised my prices and I went to a flat fee model and it was an intimate model where I only work with a handful of people. I only work with 15 clients. And right now I work with clients from seven different states. And it used to be that I would work with, you know, maybe 50 clients by the hour and they were all right here and it was turn and burn and I was exhausted and, and, I would see them so infrequently that I couldn't affect change. Mm -hmm. um, so from like the coaching work that I do, I feel like once I was able to share my own vulnerability, my own struggle, but also have the knowledge of how to navigate education system and how to access resources in the healthcare system, you know, that um, if I was just the more authentic I was, even though it's super uncomfortable to try to be authentic, and because you're vulnerable and then people judge you and that feeds your anxiety and self-confidence. I'm going I'm to pause right there because you, you yeah, said yeah, something yeah. That, that I think a lot of people that, that might not live with these thoughts might be really questioning. You, you talk about how uncomfortable it is to be authentic. I mean, right. it, it sounds like that's an oxymoron. How can it be uncomfortable to just be you? Uh, because we live in a world that's packaged with precision. Hmm. Um, and for me, uh, like Instagram, social media, mm -hmm. I, I made a change on social media a few months ago where I, I just decided to be committed to just telling my story and, and putting it all out there. Um, mm -hmm. For a long time, I just sort of hid behind quotes and I would just, you know, in, inspirational like meme culture because it was a safe place to operate and yeah. it kept, kept my engagement up, but it really meant nothing, right? So when I decided to you know, I went on, a, a, I went on, um, tell your story with Todd and I, yeah. and I, that was the first time I had ever actually said out loud, um, half of my story. And I just was like, you know, screw it. I'm just going to do it. Why not? Um, and I got a really positive response and people appreciated that vulnerability. So I'm not trying to milk the vulnerability, but I also know, um, 
growing up and being, I grew up in a rural town and I was bullied pretty severely by a group of kids in that town for, for a long time. And it made me really question my sense of self and my sense of self-worth to the point where when I got to college and I had friends, people liked me, I, I didn't know how to, ha- I couldn't handle it. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to absorb being liked or being welcomed or greeted. So it was like, I didn't trust anyone was real. Right. Right. So that's, and that never ends. You know, I'm always a little cagey with new people that I meet and trying to bet their authenticity to, to me. Um, but it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> it, it, man, I, I feel like I could just sit down and have this conversation with you. <laughs> all day long because there's so so many similarities here but i, I want to take it to the the next level because sure. part of your job is to help kids and parents sort of package people um you're, you're trying to help them put their best foot forward right so they can go out there and secure the, the next best thing if you will correct does is that in conflict with your core or does that support your core belief uh, I think it's, I think they're synchronous. I don't think it's in conflict because I am not um, pushing a particular agenda. Yeah. So I'm not affiliated with any particular program. For example, if I'm going to recommend a therapist, I don't, I don't work for a therapist. I get no incentive to refer you to a particular person. Same with college or trade school or transferring schools or doing homeschool or any of those items. So it's really about um, helping people zoom out a little bit and understand that just as I was thinking, you know, for there was that period just before my friend died at school. And then for a long time after, before I left that I felt like I had no options Mm. and I was a prisoner in my own prison because I had set that expectation that that was, that was it for me. And if I, it was sink or swim and I was drowning and I got to the point where I just, because I was able to take that leap, leap of faith, leap of desperation, whatever you want to call it, and I was able to land and, and then sustain, I've lived that truth. And so when I talk about it, I talk about the ability to shift and to, to reinvent yourself and to reimagine and to shed old relationships and to grow into new phases and stages in your life. I, I talk about it with truth because that is my truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that optimism I think that's where people vet that optimism and it either becomes off-putting like you're optimistic, but you have, you haven't gone through anything or it's contagious because you, you actually, you, you are steady, more steady now and yeah. you are thriving now, but you did go through these things. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talk about uh, these leaps of faith and coupled with this idea of being a people pleaser and anxiety. I, I wonder if you can talk through, a little bit, the, the fear that had to have gone through your head, leaving not just a job, but leaving people behind um, and shedding, shedding relationships is possibly one of the hardest things for people to do who are fearful of perception and fearful that they're going to let people down. And what are people right. going to think about me if I, if in any way I'm seen as selfish, I'm just chasing my own heart, my own dreams. Right. <laughs> Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, it was awful. I mean, it was, it was awful. Um, and, and the anxiety like building up to that because I really knew I was going to leave, let's say like in November by, by Thanksgiving of, I left on December 12th, I think it was a Tuesday. 
by Thanksgiving, I knew I had talked to my, my principal about leaving, taking a leave of absence. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in my mind, I, I had this two week window to sort of wrap my head around what I would say or what my messaging was. But to be honest, when I left, I completely went dark. I ghosted, I canceled all of my social media. I didn't take any phone calls. I, I, isolated and part of that was a need to have complete reset and part of it was fear of rejection or fear, fear of judgment yep um but you know when you make a big change you you learn who shows up and who doesn't and what i what i discovered was you know the three categories of people kind of i mean there were the guarantees like the people i thought that i knew would be there for me and those relationships would sustain and about half of those did and half of those didn't. Hmm. Then there's the people I assumed there's no way I would ever, ever, ever keep in touch with you and I have. And then there's the people that I thought 100% would be, if I could only count on one hand, these people for sure, you know, and half of them are like, yeah, I've never heard from them again, or I've never reached out. It's not them. It's just reciprocal, right? So mm -hmm. that relationship was, had the legs of environment, but maybe not the substance of true connection. Wow. What, what drives you right now you know, in, in the classroom when you were a teacher and educator, assistant principal, sometimes it's hard to see the fruits of your labor because we're told our success is measured in generations. You know, it's not like you're out there making widgets right now. Um, you, you, you're a business owner, so you do have the right. bottom line that drives some of what you do, but I, I get a sense it's, it's way bigger than that. You could go out there and yeah. do anything. So what drives you? I mean, I, I feel like um, the ability to help people who, who are feeling disenfranchised or the ones that people have given up on or they're out of options, out of ideas, um, and helping them kind of level up or 2.0 themselves. Um, I went to a fraternity. I went to Colorado uh, last month, as an example. Uh, a boy that I had worked with... Um, I was his high school assistant principal and then we just stayed in touch. I didn't work with him. I was just a mentor and a friend to him. And last, last December he died in a skiing accident mm. and passed away. So I funded a scholarship. Fortunately, I've been able to, you know, have vibrancy in my business. So I, I funded a scholarship in his name and I took it back to his fraternity um, to get it. And when I got to the fraternity, I discovered that a lot of them were, you know, struggling with mm -hmm. the things that I struggled with in college, which were mental health and coping skills and connection, feeling overwhelmed, but they had no access um, or that, you know, limited access or very delayed access to services. So in working with a group of parents of that fraternity, I identified a therapist in that town and crowdfunded money so now those boys can have free therapy with that man. Mm. And that's something that I do, like that will keep me going for another year <laughs> alone. Awesome. Just that, that change and those connections and the, and the relationships I've built with people I'd never met before um, in their late teens, early 20s. And I felt like the reason I was able to land with them was because when I went to speak, I told my whole story, which is not podcast appropriate. Yeah. So um, that level of like transparency um, followed by a deliverable of access to mental health care, that's the model that I'm hoping to replicate other places. Wow, that's, 
that's amazing. You talk about this vibrancy in, in your business and it's because this is a need that is, it's out there everywhere. It is right. truly everywhere. How do people typically find you? Is it just through social media and, and ads or word of mouth or? I, mean. I, I don't advertise. Um, so word of mouth and Instagram. Wow. Basically. Um, and, and then, then from there, once you sort of, I, yeah, just all word of mouth. Like if I have somebody from Atlanta call me, they saw me on Instagram or someone in Portland, Oregon knew somebody down here, you know, or somebody in Hawaii knew somebody in LA and like that. Um, and then writing, you know, my first book, I was happy that it did fairly well. I mean, it got some exposure. I was able to be, you know, on TV and podcasts and radio and, and that's helpful. Mm-hmm. But um, really like just my day-to-day cadence of, of, of not worrying about the end result, just trying to stay in motion, do the work, keep my routine and not worry about the vibrancy from an economic perspective, just knowing that, you know, you have to have like decision before provision. So really believing it to be true and imagining it's true for me, like that mind hack, something years ago, I would have been like, bro, if you tell me that I need to manifest something or I need to meditate, I'm out. But now that's, you know, how I start my day. I'm writing down, I always start my day writing down the things that I want for myself, but I write them down as if they've already happened Hmm. in present tense with a gratitude statement. Like I'm so happy that I have this many clients or I'm so happy that I'm speaking at this institution. I'm so happy I've sold this many books. Um, And if you read it, you'd be like, this guy's crazy. But really um, those things for me, it calls it into my life. Oh, that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. So, so what's next for you? You talked about when you were in education, you kind of felt like, not that you were, you were trapped, but it just, it is what it was. You just kind of got in that cycle. Right. Is that where you are right now? Are you totally content with what you're doing now? Or is there? Uh, no, I, I like what I'm, I like what I'm doing now. You know, in a, what, a year ago, I started working um, in a recovery high school in West LA and it's a private company that is for mental health and substance recovery. And so they have high school students from all over the country and world. And they brought me on to sort of help reimagine their education. Because mm-hmm. all of these kids are using like online platforms or independent study platforms. And they have a day school up in LA. So I go there once a week and it's that nice blend between the parts of education I loved and the creativity and the systems and the communication and the hope. Um, with the freedom of not having that be my only, you know, my only source of of income or my only source of my intellect. So it's been nice because through that I've learned so much. Mm. Um, So I think that with writing my new book, with this and having three kids, um, being married, all of those have kept me, um, they keep me going. I wouldn't know that if I ever am one to be you know, like where I'm stagnant, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm certainly happy. That's, that's, that's a great place to be, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, I, I can only imagine if for some, if it were ever possible for you to go back in time and to have that conversation with yourself three years ago, four years ago and say, Hey man, this is where you're going to be. Would you have believed it? No, no, no way. But one of the things I did when I started, when I quit and I hired that coach and I started working with Annie, she had me write down my five-year vision. So she asked me to write down 
five things that I wanted for myself that would happen in the next five years. And four of those things have come true. Okay. Right. So um, it's time to create a, a new five-year vision. So let, let's do it, man. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. I can't wait to, to connect with you in five more years and just see how you change the world, man. President Patterson, let's do it. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> no, that's not going to be part of the plan? Okay. No. I, one can hope. One can hope. Yeah. So you're doing a lot for a lot of people, man, um, all over the place. Uh, social media, podcast, your voice is everywhere. R really, your, your message is everywhere. And it is one of hope. It's one of renewal. It's one of second chances. It's one of goals and ambition and drive. It's all of these things that we all want, but you live it, you breathe it, you exemplify it. And you go back in, in your life and you said you, you don't like to go back and say everything led you to, to this point. We don't necessarily do the revisionist thing. Right. But are there things that you would have undone that you would say, Ooh, I wish I could have not gone down that route. Well, I certainly, I wish that I had had the courage to get sober sooner. Um, and also, it's that weird generational gap, and I'm 40 now, so I'm in that weird cusp of gray confusion with mental health services and right. therapy and the concept of all of those. So there was not a good, I didn't have the infrastructure I don't think that's anyone's fault. And I don't think it's my fault. I don't think it's my parents' fault. I think it was just that titration mm -hmm. happening. So um, part of me wishes that I would have been able to have the resources or the wherewithal or the understanding or opportunity to address my depression and anxiety earlier because I feel like that would have curtailed the alcohol use. Mm. Who knows? Do you feel like opening up and being real and vulnerable vulnerable about it helps the recovery? I do because yeah. there's that shame factor. We talk about, I mean, I talk about uh, mental health as whole health mm. and alcoholism as a disease. Um, but often we like to compartmentalize those two into moral shortcomings or some sort of character flaw. Yeah, And so that has a shame mentality and shame mentality then reduces the likelihood that people will get treatment or go see a physician or even confide in a friend because they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be different. But if you have a broken leg, you know, you ask them to sign your cast, no big deal. Um, and, and those are very disconnected. So I believe that the more I talk about it, the more I'm accountable to it. Part of my story and part of my, you know, public persona really and package as a speaker and author and, and coach is this mental health advocacy and awareness and sobriety um, that is going to make me accountable to myself to mm -hmm. keep going in my own recovery and not get complacent because you don't, I don't think you ever win in any of those. You just, you just keep going and you keep things at bay, but I don't think it's a black and white victory. Like, Oh, I don't have mental health issues anymore. Or I never want to drink alcohol again. No, it's, it's literally every day. Um, it's just learning to get through it and connecting with people and resources and habits that allow you to put your best foot forward. It, there might be some people out there that are thinking, I'm, I'm going to say something that, I, I, let me preface this, I don't think this way, okay? I just okay. want to see, see if you've heard any of this before. Might be thinking, okay, I, I agree, man. You, you need to get some, some help. You need to take care of yourself, but you don't need to take it public. 
I mean, you're supposed to keep this stuff close to your vest. This stuff is personal. Who, who are you to be sharing this stuff with the world, glorifying it, now monetizing it? Right. How do you, how do you respond to people that think that way? I mean, I, I get emails like that, but I don't respond. Um, I'm, I don't think I'm monetizing it. I don't think I'm glorifying it either. I mean, in the, in the book that I'm writing right now, Recovery EDU, it actually looks at the mental health and recovery crises through every lens of school. So I'm looking at talking to, I talked to students and teachers and principals and psychologists and people who run treatment centers and mm -hmm. people who run very progressive nonprofits and people who run really progressive private schools. And I'm trying to look at it at every angle um, for that exact reason, is that it's actually not just one person experiencing it. It's, it's deeply and vastly experienced but by not talking about it, we continue to kick the can down the road, mm. right? Um, and we continue to have kids die by suicide or overdose on drugs because they are too afraid or too fearful or made to feel as if they don't deserve or shouldn't ask for the help that they need. Yeah. And I, 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 I appreciate <laughs> what, what you are doing, man, and the stuff that you're saying. And just your willingness to just be completely you and to own it, but not to just reside there and say, well, this is just me, deal with it, but this is the me who I am today and here's who I'm going to be. Right. And to constantly be engaged in that journey and that struggle and letting us all be a part of it because it, it is empowering. And that's, that's part of that, that connection I feel with you, man. As, as I hear your story and I watch your story unfold, it truly does give me hope. It gives me hope to keep going and to keep growing um, and to not be ashamed of the struggles to right. to own them um to to acknowledge them but then to use them not to right. hide them not to cover them and and it's it's also it helps me release guilt because i hold on to a lot of guilt at times but guilt is still just my pride saying <laughs> that i should have done things differently i can fix things and i just need to let it go and keep growing and that, that's the kind of stuff that just connecting with you has, has allowed me to think through and, and own and appreciate. So I, I appreciate you on a lot of levels, man, on a lot of levels. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I give every guest on the show the opportunity to, to wrap it up by, we call it the mic drop moment. I don't know if mic drop is necessarily appropriate for this right now, but just to give us that, that thing that you want us to hold on to. There are people hearing the story that, I mean, this, this might be that, that turning point that they need. This might be that moment where they finally reach out and say, wow, I, I can change. I can grow. I can do something about whatever that situation is. Um, and this is your opportunity to, to speak to them. I, I tell people this is the most popular podcast on the planet. You've potentially 7 billion people listening to this. They could be anywhere. There are listeners to this across the Atlantic, across the Pacific, all across the Americas right now that are listening to you. And they want to hear your wisdom, your truth. What is it that you want them to hold on to when, they, when this podcast is done and they're done playing it, but they can be playing it back in their heads? Right. Give, us that, give us that thing that they need. I, my core message to, to anyone struggling or not is, is um, reflection, really. Reflection is, is the beginning, and, and we, but we get stuck there. Mm -hmm. So it's learning to activate. How do you activate that reflection into action? 
and and change. And I was stuck. I was stuck for a long time, um, 10, 15 years on the hamster wheel. Um, and optically, I looked fine. So I had all the markers of somebody that was successful. And I made excuses for a long time. I had a good job. I had a home. I had a family. I had a car. I had an income. I, I won awards. I did things. All of the optics were there. And I hid behind those optics like a big fence. And, and I felt like I was impervious to personal accountability. Hmm. So optically, it doesn't matter where you are, what you have, how much you have, how successful you are. If you are not taking that reflection that you ultimately have, like while you're driving the car or in the shower or somewhere, everyone has it before you go to sleep. If you're not looking for ways to capture that reflection and activate it and have a courageous conversation or, or make amends or, or give an apology, or be able to walk away from a toxic relationship or, or a job that no longer fits you or synchronous with your, your goals or your abilities. Um, th those optics are fine, but they're not lasting and, and they, they're not sustainable. They will not make you happy and they will not fix you. So it's about understanding that you need to fix yourself, um, but there's people that are willing to help and there's people who wanna help and there's people who are going through what you're going through. So don't get stuck behind the optics and, and capture that reflection and activate it into action. That's good, man. <laughs> that, that, is, that is good. I'm going to be one of those guys that goes back and plays this over and over and over again. And I'll use this moment to help activate that reflection. I, I'm almost going to use this as that mirror, the thing that I can look into to, to start to see myself more realistically so that I can then decide what I'm going to do about it. <laughs> you know, when, when we look in the mirror, it's, it's great to walk by and say, wow, I look, that's how I look. But it's another thing to say, okay, but I can do something about that or I can cover this up. You got to do something with what you see um, to make right. it. Right. You know, and they don't have to be sweeping changes. No, absolutely. Small changes. That's it. Small changes. Yeah. That's it. Man, I, I just appreciate you again. I just want to say one more time, thank you so much for absolutely for doing thank this you. and sharing your your truth and sharing your message, sharing your story. Uh, I know it, it can be intimidating. I know also though the the more you share, the more comfortable you get with sharing your story, and the more people that will hear it who will then be more comfortable sharing their story, and it just it makes a change, man. So I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you, and I look forward to connecting soon. You got it. All right. Did you enjoy this episode? I hope so. If you did, feel free to keep listening by subscribing right now to the Lasting Learning Podcast and get new episodes as soon as they're released. Interested in knowing more about me, Dave Schmidt? Well, feel free to find out what makes me tick by reading one of my books, Bold Humility, or It's Like Riding a Bike. Feel free to check them both out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or directly on my website, schmidt.net. That's S-C-H-M-I-T-T-O-U dot net.